listening to the Sermons Podcast for Ottawa Baptist Church. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. How many of you have ever said these words, there's no place like home? Have you guys ever said that before? Maybe as a kid you were an extended stay with family or a summer camp for a couple of weeks or maybe you were away on business or even a holiday. Even though you're having a great time, when you walk through the door, you drop the bags and you go, home. What is it about home? I know that there are times and circumstances where, you know, uh, situations aren't great at home. And in those cases, maybe home is a different place for you than maybe the place where you live. Or growing up, that was the case. But when we think of home, what is it about home? Is it that there's this sense of comfort, this sense of familiarity, connection, relationship, love, rest? The idea of home is a powerful idea. In the Gospels, we read about Jesus' life, and I can only imagine what it must have been like to walk one day in Jesus' shoes. All of the activity that he was involved in as he would stand and preach to thousands at a time and yet retreat into someone's home to share the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, with just a handful of people. What it must have been like for him as he walked through the crowds and everyone's pressing in on him, trying to get a glimpse of this person, Jesus of Nazareth. What would it have been like to see the constant need as people coming to you over and over and over again, the needs must have been endless. What was it like as Jesus laid hands on the sick and they recovered, as he cast out evil spirits, all of the activity, what it must have been like for him each and every day of the final three years of his life. I couldn't imagine walking in his shoes for even one day. In the Gospels, there was a place that appeared to be like home for Jesus. And it was a place called Bethany, a small village about two to three kilometers east of Jerusalem. It was located on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives, close to the Garden of Gethsemane. It was a place where Jesus had great friends, siblings, mother, uh, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. All siblings, great friends of Jesus. And In fact, the last six days Jesus was alive, he would spend his time in ministry in the hustle bustle in the city of Jerusalem, and he was there among the crowds, proclaiming the message, the good news about the kingdom. And each and every night he would travel to the place of Bethany to get his rest, to relax, to spend the night, to sleep. And it was a place of refuge, Rest and peace for Jesus. Again, Bethany being a type of home for him. In John's Gospel, chapter 10, Jesus' life, as it was in many cases, under threat again. And so he leaves the region where he's at and finds himself in a place called Bethabara. And while Jesus is in Bethabara, he receives a message that there's trouble in Bethany. There's trouble at home. Lazarus, his dear friend, is unwell and is approaching death. 
And so the message Jesus receives is, come now, come quick, come home. But in John chapter 11, John writes, although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now that's a bit difficult for us to understand because anytime we feel that there is an emergency at home, what's our first instinct? I got to get home. I have to get there. I don't know if I can help, but I at least have to be, be there, be present, be there in supportive way for the people that I love. And yet, Jesus is not in any, in any rush to travel to Bethany. Jesus stayed where he was for two days. And after two days, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, let's go to Judea. Lazarus is asleep. The disciples are a little bit clueless. They misunderstand what Jesus is meaning. They say, Jesus, this is great news. Lazarus is sleeping. He's recovering. He's getting the rest that his body needs. And Jesus tells them plainly, no. Lazarus is dead. And so they traveled towards Bethany. When Lazarus' sister Martha receives word that Jesus is coming, she takes off and meets him down the road. And she says to Jesus, where have you been? If only you were here, my brother would not have died. She's heartbroken. She's empty. But Jesus tells her, your brother will rise again. And Martha thinks this is some great theological point. She goes, yes, I know that on the last day, when God returns, those who have been faithful to him, who have passed away, yes, they will be resurrected on the final day. And Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, I am the resurrection. I am so closely tied to this event that you can call me the resurrection. And you can also call me the life. And he says, anyone who believes in me, even after dying, will live. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. And he turns and asks her this question, Martha, do you believe? And she responds, yes, I've always believed in you. I've, I've always, always believed that you were the Messiah, who you claim to be. Martha leaves and goes home and she informs her sister that Jesus is on the way, and so Mary leaves the house and finds Jesus right where Mary, uh, Martha had left him. And Mary is there, and she mimics the words of her sister, saying, if you would have only been here, Jesus, my brother would not have died. And John records that Jesus saw her weeping, and he saw the crowds weeping, and a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. And it was then that Jesus wept. And here we get to see the humanity of Jesus. That here was a dear friend who was gone. But Jesus' tears meant much more than just the absence of the presence of a dear friend. Jesus is lamenting because he's looking around at the creation that he had formed and it wasn't how it was supposed to be. There was something wrong with home. And he laments and he cries 
Because death was never supposed to be the intention for humanity. But because sin came into the world, death came upon us all. And so we have Jesus in the scene who identifies with our struggle, who identifies with the brokenness of home, a God who understands. We have a creation that was full but now it's spiritually empty. We have a humanity that once had this vibrant, deep relationship with God, but it was lost. It's empty. And of course, Lazarus, a great friend and brother, had been overcome with sickness and is now gone. And his absence has left the family and friends with empty hearts and no hope. Jesus is weeping so bitterly that the people looking around say, look at how much he loved Lazarus. Look at how emotional he's getting. See how much he loved him. So Jesus goes to the tomb, still angry, still a bit upset. And now there's this showdown between resurrection, life, and death. And Jesus says, the stone that's blocking Lazarus' tomb, roll it away. Martha, being the sensible one, pleads pleads with Jesus, Jesus, don't do this. He's been dead for four days. There is a stench upon him, the stench of death and decay and rot. Please just stop. Don't. And Jesus reminds her, he goes, what did I say would happen if you believed? So he proceeded. The stone was rolled away and Jesus cried aloud to the Father publicly. He says, Father, I know that you hear me, but I'm just going to verbalize this prayer so that others will see that I am who I say that I am. And I know that you always hear me. And then Jesus, with a loud voice, said, Lazarus, come out. And a dead man came out of the grave, and Jesus says, now unbind him and let him go. Can you imagine the joy, the celebration of that moment, the shock of of Lazarus coming back to life? The question in everybody's mind, who is this man Jesus? We thought it was incredible as he laid hands on the sick and they recovered as he cast out evil spirits, and they fled. But now this, to reverse the effects of death. Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? The hearts that were empty because of Lazarus' death were now filled with joy, and the body of Lazarus that was empty was now filled again with life. I look at the story that's recorded in John, and I see a bigger picture. But in this story, what we just read, there is a place that Jesus calls home. There's trouble at home. People that he loves have experienced tragedy, and they call for him to come. There's a delay, but the delay served a purpose. And when Jesus finally arrived, home was fixed. I see this as a microcosm of a a larger story that we find in the Scripture. 
In Genesis, God created an earthly home, Eden, and he planted a garden there, and he placed humanity in that garden, and it was a place where there was this rich fellowship between creator and creation and humanity. And in that home, there was joy, fellowship, communion, everything that you could ever want in a home, it was there. But tragedy strikes. Human beings, of their own will, decided that they wanted to defy God and walk away from him. And so they disobeyed him, and sin entered into the world. And now home was different. Humanity grew worse and worse. Before long, they became violent, committed atrocities, committed heinous acts, murder, abuse, you name it. Humanity was now capable of it. Because sin had entered into creation. But God didn't withdraw completely. Yes, there was a fracture in the relationship. And yes, home was different. But God was still working his plan. Many righteous people over time called out to God as they looked around and saw the injustice and everything that was happening around them. And they cried out to God, would you please come? Would you fix home? Would you not delay any further? God, save us. Save this place. And yet God waited. He waited. And he informed his people, I am with you. And be encouraged because a time will come where I will fix everything. Home will be made right. And so creation waited and waited and waited. And then at the right time, God decided to act in the most remarkable way. He sent his son into the world, his earthly home, to mend the brokenness. To fix home, God had responded. Jesus showed up and showed the world what God was like. He put it on display for all to see. There are no questions. He began preaching about a kingdom with a king who is holy and righteous and good and just. And this king and his authority far outweigh the superiority of death. And hell and the grave. This king was much greater, and Jesus proclaimed this message, and he entered into the brokenness of the world, a brokenness that existed because human beings made wrong decisions and introduced sin into the planet. And Jesus said, I'll fix it. I'll fix home. He came into the world perfect. 100% God, 100% man. And he came and said, I will take it upon myself. Because humanity as a whole cannot fix the mess that they are in. It is impossible for them to work enough good deeds. To string along enough acts of charitable service. They're too far gone. They cannot rescue themselves. The problem of sin is too great. And so Jesus says, I'll take care of it. I will fix it. And the Bible says he turned his life over to evil men. 
They took him, they beat him, they tortured him, they crucified him, and they put him on a tree, the perfect sacrifice. And there he took upon the weight of sin and iniquity of us all, and to the outsider it appeared that God had lost. God's plan was spoiled, but nothing could be further from the truth. The disciples' hearts were empty, their hopes were dashed. Now what? Most of Jesus' followers saw his death as the end, just like Lazarus' family thought it was the end. But they were both wrong. Luke records the resurrection this way, that there were a few women who were on their way to Jesus' tomb. And two men suddenly appeared to them in dazzling robes. Two men, angels, appeared. And the women were terrified. And the angels said, why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? He is not here. He is alive. He's alive. And the women, they... They, they understand what's taking place and they take off to find the disciples and they begin proclaiming the news. He's no longer there. The grave is empty. Jesus is alive. And that empty tomb meant life for you and me. And today, Jesus is still alive. The Bible says that he is in heaven sitting at the right hand of the Father. Death could not hold him. Grave could not defeat him. Sin and death could not lay claim to him. He defeated them all. He is alive. And because he's alive, those who put their trust and their faith in him will live too. So when someone understands that home's broken, and it's broken due to sin, and they also know that they are powerless to do anything about it, they can turn to Jesus, the Savior, the Rescuer, and Jesus will save. It's that simple to believe. Martha questioned, what is a Jesus about to do, and what did he say? Believe. Didn't I tell you? Believe. You may say, Mark, I look around the world and home still seems broken. And you know what? You're right. I'm not trying to deny that. All you have to do is look at the newspaper today. Look at it tomorrow. Look at it the next day. Read the headlines. See the things that are taking place across the world. There is evidence that home is still broken. And we live in that brokenness. But what does God assure us of? That if we come to him and we trust his plan, he brings us back to himself and says, yes, you will walk in the brokenness while it is still broken. Yes, it may seem like there's a delay, but while you walk in this life, you will not have to do it alone. Why? I'm always here. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And Jesus welcomes us into the family. God welcomes us into the family through the work of Jesus. And he places us among others in his church to walk through the brokenness of the world. The work of Jesus means that we are made right with God. 
And here's the thing. In the end, we will experience the fullness of salvation. We will experience the fullness of what it's like for home to finally be the place it should have been all along. Jesus came 2,000 years ago to fix the sin problem, to give us hope, but he desired for others to know him as well. So when we think that there is this delay, God, would you save us? Would you fix home? He says, not yet. Why? Because it is his desire that no one else should perish. It is his desire that all men and women would turn, repent, and come to him. And so he waits and waits and waits. It's not a delay. He waits for our good, for his purposes. There will come a time when time is no more, when Jesus returns as he's promised and everything will be made right. And the question is, when he returns, will you be received as a son or a daughter? Or, if your life should end before he returns, will you exit the life that we know on this planet as a son or as a daughter? Today's a celebratory day. Jesus is alive. And because people celebrate this incredible provision that has been made where God, our creator, has brought us back to him through Jesus. And we know that God has this incredible love for us because his word declares it over and over and over again. There's a reason why John 3.16 is so powerful. Why? It demonstrates the love of God. That he sent his son so that all we would have to do is believe and then what? Receive everlasting life. Is there a reason that we as people are drawn to that verse? Yes. Because it identifies that there is a creator who loves us and has made provision through his love for us to be made right with him. Today, if you're here and you haven't put faith in Jesus as the rescuer, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that here in just a moment. But the Bible tells us that all we must do is to recognize our inability to save ourselves, to repent, to turn to Jesus, and to trust in his work. Simply trust and receive salvation and forgiveness. It's up to you. How do you respond this morning? I'm going to ask the team if they'd go ahead and join me on stage here in a moment. They're going to sing a special item, and this is what we're going to do. If you're here in this place and you say, you know what, I am here, I am a Christ follower, I have accepted the plan of salvation, then I want you to just during this song, Jesus Messiah, to sit here and in celebratory tone, begin to praise God for his provision, that we can be in right relationship with him. But if you're here and you're saying, I heard what you're saying, Mark, I understand that, that home is broken, but I don't want to be broken, living in brokenness. I want to be made whole. I want to be part of this family that you're talking about. Then all you have to do is call out to God and let him know. 
admit that you need a Savior, be willing to accept the work of salvation of Jesus on the cross. And if you're here today, you might have trouble formulating those words. And so as they sing, we're going to put a slide on the overhead. And it's just a, a little template so that if you're having difficulty finding the words to say, then you can look at that as a guide and take you to the next steps of you becoming part of God's family. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us. You care for us deeply. And the measures that you have gone through, sacrifice of your son, to demonstrate that love, to bring us back to you, it's powerful. What can we say we're speechless that the God of heaven would be mindful of us enough to care for us and to make things right, to fix home? So Father, today we celebrate your plan through Jesus. We remember his death, and now we remember the joy of the resurrection morning. Father, we thank you for our time. In your name. Amen. Thanks for checking out our sermons podcast today. For more information on Ottawa Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ottawabaptist.com.